Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier Podcast. It's your boy, Mac. And tonight, I am joined by Mikey McNuggets of Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show. What's going on, Mikey? How are you, man? I'm doing good, man. I uh, I first want to give you a little kudos. To do a post-game podcast after 82 regular season games, <laughs> I think you do them on the West Coast games too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you are a crazy man, but the Cleveland media scene and the Cleveland fan base is better for it. So kudos to you, man. That, that, that's a hell of a task. You do a great job doing it. I appreciate it. It's a slog at times, and sometimes I just want to—I just want to say fuck it and go to bed. But uh, you know, I got to do what I got to do. Sometimes I got to fit these in, and sometimes, Mikey, I have found that, especially with my children, it's the best time. Right? The kids are asleep after you know struggling to put them to bed and whatnot, and my my thoughts are fresh, and you know this these games are fresh in people's minds. So yeah. what better time to do it? Uh, but with that in mind, you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers took on the Washington Wizards for the fourth and final time this year. And, you know, they had the chance to complete the season sweep. And obviously they did that, but it was really, really frustrating throughout, man. Just initial thoughts right after this game concluded. What were your initial thoughts? My first thought was if the Cavs don't have Donovan Mitchell at 100%, they're in trouble. And I think we all kind of knew and assumed that. And you saw in the first two games without Mitchell at all, they lost to Orlando, lost to Philadelphia. The offense just looked kind of out of whack. Their three-point shots were down damn near 50% from when that 20-game streak where they were making, you know, 17 of 40 a night. Donovan's back, but still kind of under the weather. He was, yeah. I don't want to call him a spot-up shooter tonight, but he was not the Donovan Mitchell who should be in the forefront of the MVP conversation tonight. And without him, against a shorthanded, undermanned Washington team, it was a dogfight, and, you know, when you play a team like Washington, Jordan Poole's going to have some nights where he goes over <laughs> 30 like last time the Cavs played him, and he's going to have nights like tonight where he looks like Jordan, uh, Michael Jordan for a few minutes, and they're kind of wonky and funky to play, but the Cavs made it way too close for comfort, but at the end of the day, a win's a win, and they saved us from a miserable 48 hours until Tuesday's game against Dallas online with all the criticism and all the – even some of the guys I work with, some of the wild takes that would have came out of that. So it it was nice to know that it did not turn into pure catastrophe, which it seemed we were headed for from like the beginning of the fourth quarter to about the eight minute mark when the Cavs finally, finally put something together. Yeah, I mean, it was it was frustrating. It started to make me feel like, well, shit, is this is this going to be the start of a skid, like a, a very long losing yeah. streak? It would have been three in a row. And obviously, while I didn't feel that way throughout the duration of the game, that first quarter left a lot to be desired. They did turn things up in the second, and they carried that on, that on into the third. But then Washington really started to make things interesting with the way that Jordan Poole was able to just knock down whatever – he took and there was just points where certain guys just looked a little disengaged out there um obviously you can't you can't really knock shot making that is just going in despite whatever you're doing defensively sometimes guys yeah. are just going to make shots and that's what happened for pool tonight but there were other possessions in which you're just like man guys got to rotate guys got to close out a little bit better especially out in the perimeter and it it was starting to lead to a point where i'm like well Maybe they just don't have it tonight. Maybe they're maybe they entered this all-star break and I don't know what the hell happened. It, it just stopped all momentum, but it was really starting to piss me off at different points. Um, one of the guys that I think we both feel heading into this game needed to kind of uh continue his continue his elevation 
since returning from injury is Darius Garland. Mm. And for for what it's worth, I feel that since returning from All-Star break, he's actually been fairly productive. And I think the biggest knock on him has been a general lack of aggression at times, especially in Cleveland's last game where you're you looking at him facing off against Tyrese Maxey. And we saw what Maxey did today uh, earlier on. But uh, you, you watch a player that is so talented in Garland, and sometimes you just wish that he would take the game by the reins, especially when you have Donovan Mitchell out there who has no heritage, puts it down here, kind of forced his way onto the court tonight in a game where Donnie clearly just either doesn't have it or still working his way back from an illness and you're you're needing somebody to take charge garland for what it's worth in that fourth quarter did that but just talk to me a little bit about your feelings and thoughts on him since he's returned to injury from his injury overall on paper darius is crazy talented like he has all the requisite skills you would want a point guard to have his handle's absurd he's a great finisher his jump shot should be silky and then sometimes it's just one of those things that you get frustrated because you you want him and you think he's capable of doing more, but you look at the box score at the end of the day and he's like 18 and 8, and you're like, that's a damn good game. Yeah. But it felt like he didn't fully utilize his assets. And I think the one thing for me, especially without Donovan in the game against Orlando and Philadelphia, and he's still working his way back. I don't think he's a finished product yet in terms of you know where Darius will be by the end of the season. But when Donovan's in the game, He's consistently putting pressure every possession on the defense to rotate either towards him, whether he's using the pick and roll, getting to the lane, kicking out to the corners, and he's doing it quick in the shot in the shot clock, which Darius, on the other hand, is more of a east-west side-to-side player. He likes to play with the defender, which he's phenomenal at. And by the time he gets to where I think he wants to attack the defense, there's like seven or eight seconds on the shot clock, not 12 or 13, and the Cavs are forced into a secondary action that is maybe not ideal in terms of the shot they're looking to get. So, you know, I was watching the the Orlando game in particular. And down the stretch, it, it's not that he's predictable off the pick and roll. It's not that he's not capable of creating. He does it all. I just wish he would move a little faster and make the defense have to react to what he does a little quicker in the offensive possession as opposed to holding it a little longer than Donovan does it. And they're not the same player. Like, they have different skill sets. Donovan's better at a few things than Darius. Darius is better at a few things than Donovan. But... It just feels like when Donovan's the lead dog here, there's constant pressure on the defense to react not just to him, but react and then close out, and you still have to make another reaction to whether it's Isaac, Max, George, whoever it is, off their action. With Darius, it just seems like it's a little slower to get into things. And he looks better. I mean, he he's, he's he feels like he's more confident in his shot. In the fourth quarter, he had the back-to-back threes that tied it at 91, or, or made it 94-91, then tied it at 94. And, you know, you need to see Darius step in and take those shots with confidence. So I think it's kind of coming back maybe a little slower than we all would have liked, but he just needs to see the shot go through the hoop, the ball go through the net. And confidence is such a big thing in basketball, especially for an undersized guard. If his shot isn't falling, then they're giving him more space. They're a little more physical with him. So I think he sees a few shots go through the net, especially from beyond the arc. It's going to open up all the other facets of what he brings to the table offensively. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I I look what he does. I look at the talent level that he has. Certainly, I think this is just as you put it before we went on, it's a mental thing, right? It it is totally based and rooted in, in my opinion, in confidence. Since returning from All-Star break, he's putting up 17.7 points, 8.7 assists, and the shooting splits are 
they're pretty efficient. 45% from the field, 40% from three-point distance. Take that and, every day of the week. Yeah. And, and then the only problem that you could find in that is, I suppose, volume, right? That's yeah. what everybody is clamoring for, especially from beyond the arc. They're wanting him to be aggressive, take those shots when it, when they're called upon and just be completely assertive when the situation calls for. And that's really the only gripe from an offensive standpoint that I have with Darius Garland. He kind of is what he is defensively. There are there are points throughout games, especially against Philly in that last game where he one of the last sequences he had was stealing the ball and kind of keeping the game, I, I guess, maybe not necessarily close, but giving the Cavs a chance towards the end. And yeah. he'll do that every now and then with a timely steal. But he, he is not a known defender. And so I've just kind of I've come to terms with that. As long as he offsets that with with offense, I'm okay. But overall, I guess my thoughts on him right now are just be assertive, be aggressive, and it'll come back to you because he just does not strike me as a guy who's going to force the issue. And I think that's what a lot of people want him to do. Like if the shot isn't falling, people are still wanting him to jack up a ton of shots. And that just does not seem like his MO. He if the shot is not falling, he's going to look to play, make and facilitate and get other guys involved. And it's I crazy, Mac. Is he, he has the mindset of an old school point guard. You just don't see many old school point guards in today's NBA. Like you, I feel like if you rewind the clock 10 years ago, he fits into exactly what you want. A guy who's looking his primary focus on the courts to get other guys open, create looks for everyone else. But in today's day and age with the success of guys like Dame Lillard, Steph and the elite combo guards that have taken over the point guard position, traditional point guards expected to score 20, 25 points a game. And, and Darius could, but like against Orlando and Philly, when Donovan's not playing mm -hmm. and this is kind of, this was, it's a critique, but it's also just, I want more from Darius. I think he's that talented. Sure. If Donovan's not in the court, he's by far their best playmaker shot creator for not only himself, but for others, right? Like it, it, I don't think you could argue anyone else. So when it's on your shoulders, Darius, you got to be the guy who takes that next step up in terms of your aggressiveness and even if it's not 30 shot attempts, and I don't know the exact numbers. I should have looked this up. This is a bad job out of me. But <laughs> I need to good. see, like, assists are a great stat, but you can make a great pass. A guy missed an open shot. You don't get an mm -hmm. assist. Potential assist, yeah. Yeah, but uh, uh, his potential assists in those games have to be, you know, 20, 30, somewhere in that range if he's only going to take 10 shots. But when Donovan's not on the court, I trust Darius to make the right play either for himself or for some, someone else more than guys like Karras or George or Mobley. or like You know what I'm saying? So – I just think that's why the expectation on him to shoot and be more aggressive is what it is. And maybe that's not fair because that's just not the kind of player he is. But after seeing what he did the year before Donovan came, mm -hmm. I feel like it's in there. He it's, just has to kind of believe in himself and bring it back out. It's definitely a part of his game. I just think from a mental aspect, as soon as Donovan was acquired in the play style just changed, right? Yeah. From, from a mental aspect, he just shifted his whole play style and trying to fit next to Mitchell because the one thing that we know about Mitchell one thing that we've come to love about him especially this season is that he often has the ability to shift to whatever Cleveland needs him to be if you need him yeah. to go get a bucket he's going to score that shit you need him to play make he'll he'll throw some guys open and he has become one of the I, I don't hesitate to say one of the top five best combo guards, if not top three best combo guards in today's league and he I think he has shown a ton of growth since he's come to Cleveland in that regard uh, there, there are definitely things that have always been in this game, but I feel like Donovan has has taken a leap in that regard. And 
I think that's what people are wanting out of Darius is just learning how to flip that switch because he did that during his all-star season. It's mm -hmm. just getting back to that when this, when it necessitates, especially in games where Donovan is not out there, you need him to be able to pick up that slack, you need him to say, fuck it. I'm going to go out there and I will put the team on my back. And I think that's been the biggest complaint. And, you know, I know a lot of people sometimes come at me about criticism. I think that's a valid criticism, right? I, I think that if that is your issue with Garland, that is perfectly warranted given the contractual obligations and and, and things when you're when you're getting to, into that conversation, just because that's where a lot of people are looking. They're like, this dude is paid. A, a, that's, such, that's such a BS excuse, though, because what were we supposed to do? Let him walk? Like, I, and you often overpay, right? You, you have know to. this, Mike. What are you going to do? Like, yeah. Hey, like Jordan Poole is making two hundred thirty million dollars. God, that's like, a terrible contract. They're they're a bad contract. And I don't even think Darius is necessarily a bad contract. It's just he was eligible for the rookie max. Uh huh. When's the last time a, a a rookie coming up on a potential contract extension hadn't gotten the max from his own team? Like it doesn't doesn't really happen any other way. So you can say the Cavs overpaid, and yeah, maybe they did. But what what the hell are they supposed to do? He's like coming off an all-star season. Yeah, what, what are you supposed to do? He's 20, well, he's 21 years old coming off an mm -hmm. all-star season. He was tabbed as the next up-and-coming guard that everyone thought was about to take over the league. And to keep him in Cleveland, you pay him what he's worth. And at that point, you pay him what he's worth. Like, I, the whole contract thing pisses me off. And it, I think what's like, lost in you, that, too, is like, in these contracts, especially rookie skill contracts, you're not only paying for what a guy currently is, but what he could potentially become. You're, you're like, paying for potential, line. yeah, exactly. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns got it, Zion got it. It's it's just the way. Who, who's up next? Like Cade Cunningham's going to get it. Mobley's like Mobley's getting it in a year or two. Whether you you want to say he's <laughs> worth the max or not, we'll have that conversation. I promise you this: he's getting the rookie max. Uh -huh. I'll break some news on the It's Cavalier podcast right now. Evan Mobley will get the rookie max extension when it's time. Like. Where it's do you fall on that? I, I I would love to have your thoughts on that right now because a lot of people see his development and they feel like it's stagnated due to the arrival of Mitchell, which to a degree you can make an argument that, hey, this is kind of from a developmental aspect. It's stunted a little bit, but not not so much that it's it's going to impact contractual conversations. But where do you fall on that? If you had a choice right now, are you giving him that max? Yeah, I, I'm always in favor of giving the guy the max and if it's not worth it. In the long run, you could you could find a way to trade him, but you can't lose an asset like that for nothing. And at the end of the day, my whole take on Mobley is, you know, Cleveland tabbed him and myself included as as the next unicorn, right? He was supposed mm -hmm. to be the savior, and I think I don't think he's a unicorn. And and I, I I say that in context of you see what Wemby does, steps right into the league, Chet Holmgren as a rookie, like Paolo, those dudes are are on a different level of immediate impact. And if you put Evan Mobley on Charlotte this year, he's probably averaging 22 and 12. And we're having a whole different discussion about what Evan Mobley can and can't do offensively. But against uh, against Philly, there's no way he should take nine shots. Like, I still wish, just like Darius was more aggressive in certain aspects, I wish Evan would just assert himself. But defensively, he's a stud. Offensively, his game's coming together. I think he needs to shoot. I don't want to say force threes. But I do think the Cavs are at their best if if he's a quasi-reliable three-point threat, especially in the playoffs when teams kind of just pack the defense in. So I, I think he's really good. Is he great? <laughs> Not yet. But I think he's a really good player. 
That's fair. That's you could fair. certainly, if Evan Mobley never gets better, Mac, if this is the peak of Evan Mobley, he's a 15-year solid-ass player in the NBA. Bro, he he's dropping to be an All NBA level guy. So. He's basically dropping sixteen and ten, man. And yeah. throwing some dimes out there. He's shown a semblance of uh, from uh, of perimeter shooting. We know what he's done, uh, you know, from a defensive standpoint. So he's he he's worth whatever money that Cleveland has to offer him. And you, you obviously, like you said, you don't lose an asset like that. You sign him, and eventually, if you have to move on, you do. But right now, I mean, Mobley, and this is something that I have kind of tried to shy away from discussing too often but i kind of agree with the fact that he may not necessarily be the quintessential unicorn you know in terms of what we see from some of these other bigs right Wimby completely shifted what we feel like is a unicorn he just changed the game (laughs) he's absurd man yeah but even in saying that mobley is still a damn talented young up-and-coming prospect and he should continue to get better as he enters his prime and he's nowhere even near it i mean there's there's a couple of different guys on this roster like that and the next player that i kind of want to ask you about is one who is due to hit restricted free agency this upcoming offseason and that is isaac okoro who's playing probably the best basketball of his career where do you feel like uh where do you feel Isaac stands in terms of contractual um, conversation? Do you feel like he, where do you think he would fit in terms of his next contract? If he shoots. So it's a two part question because I think he has to prove it in the playoffs. He has to make a shot in the playoffs before he's going to get uh, the the contract. I think he's earned based off his regular season play. I was uh, in the mindset last year, Mac, <coughs> excuse me. He was unplayable in the playoffs. Like you, he just wasn't taking shots, and you were playing four and five basketball with two non-shooting bigs. I just thought it was an un. It, you were playing with a hand behind, hand tied behind your back, and I was like, "I'm out. I can't do it." And I don't know if I've ever had my opinion change on a player so much in one season than I have with Isaac Curro this year. He's not only been good; he's been phenomenal. Like, and that's probably not even giving him enough praise offensively. The leaps he's taken as a shooter, as a driver. As a slasher, as a playmaker, he's attacking closeouts. We already knew his defense was awesome. But, like, what can't he do offensively right now, Mac? Like, right now. I know he's not running the pick and roll, and that's probably not ever going to be in his game. But as a 3 and D wing, how much more can you want? And at this point, in a closing lineup, I think the one question JB has to answer between now and the playoffs is, who's the fifth guy with the core four? And I don't think I can make a case – for anyone but Isaac Okoro at this point, unless you need a three and you want to put Sam Merrill or Struess in there. But I, th- I think Okoro is their best fifth guy in that quote-unquote core – or not core lineup, closing lineup. He's been that good, and I owe him all the uh, all the praise because I was probably a little too harsh on him last year, and he has been that much better than I ever could have expected this year. He's been phenomenal, man. He- he's been phenomenal. You have to keep him, and uh, he's going to cost you a pretty penny, and he's earned it. Yeah, I mean – this is where I've always stood on Isaac. I've always been a huge fan. I always felt like he was capable of more, but whether it be a shifting role or just lack of confidence, and I think that's probably the biggest thing for him, just like it is with some of these other guys, especially Darius, and maybe you throw Dean Wade in there too. But confidence, role, and I think just being able to go out there and play 
freely has really really ramped things up for this mm -hmm. dude and i think a lot of people still just forget that this guy i, I believe he just turned 23 years old he's so much younger than you think because he's been in the league you know four or five years now but he came in he was the youngest freshman draft or the youngest player drafted in that class he had just turned 19 i mean he's still a baby like legitimately still a baby i mean craig porter jr is older yeah. than Isaac Okoro. That's that says it all right there. The guy played one season at Okoro uh, at, at at Auburn, and he's he's grown. He's developed every single season, whether people choose to acknowledge it or not, from a statistical standpoint. And I feel like that's where a lot of people have their moans and groans and gripes and whatnot. You may not see a, a ton of a difference, but I will take what he is delivering right now because he's shooting basically 40% from three-point distance. He is a hellish perimeter defender. And there, like you said, there's a lot of things out there that he is fully capable of doing. I just can't think of anything that we haven't quite seen him do this year. He has an improved handle, in my opinion. He can he, he can run the pick and roll. We've seen that. He can shoot out on the perimeter. He started to post up a little bit more. He started to... Uh, to, to let shots fly at the top of the arc as opposed to just in the corners. Mm -hmm. He's doing a lot of different things this year that we hadn't quite seen him do in the past consistently. And I think that's the biggest key word right there is consistency. Yeah. He has one. He has been one of Cleveland's most consistent players this year. And it's really, really going to, uh, to suck now that we probably could have signed him to a much cheaper deal this past off season than what we're probably going to owe him this upcoming offseason and while i don't really worry about that because i know dan gilbert will shell out <laughs> if yeah. he feels it's necessary i still feel like we could have got him on a cheaper deal but i have been nothing short of impressed with what he has been able to do this year and i just i hope just as yourself have uh, ha have done as of recording this i hope people are really starting to give him the respect that he deserves and i i really really hope he gets all defensive attention this year man he listen he there was a there was a, a stretch of games before the break where he guarded dame shut down dame it was the game they they won by like 40 points yeah and then two nights later he's guarding palo bancaro as the primary defender and, and holding palo in check and it's crazy to think there's you know og and anobi can do that isaac can do that there's a couple others across the league mm -hmm. but the list of guys who are guarding point guards and what do you want to call Palo? A, a point center? Like, <laughs> yeah, whatever, yeah, whatever you want to call him. But he could guard all five, and he's he's only six five. Like, he's not he's giving up size to some of these bigger guys, but he's wiry, strong. He's always in the right position, and most importantly, he's tenacious. Like, you can't make a mistake. You can't take a soft dribble because Isaac's in your grill like a junkyard dog, and, and I mean that in the best way possible. And he'll kind of just take your cookies and, and go dunk on the other court if you're lazy for a second. So you got to be on for 48 minutes straight if Isaac's guarding you. And that's one of those things that you got to take for granted sometimes, like, yeah, whatever. But, you know, you saw against Philadelphia, they started making some lazy passes, which allowed Cleveland to kind of come back into yeah. it in the late second quarter, early third quarter. And Isaac is a big reason why. Like, you make a bad pass, you're not getting anything past him in that sense. He's – it's – you know, we talked about it on our show a few times. I'm curious how you feel on this, Mac. Uh the Cavs don't have a great reputation for developing homegrown players. Like from not not LeBron's obviously, but guys they draft late, yeah. develop in. And I feel like that narrative's kind of starting to change. And I know Akura was a top five pick and all, but it took him a few years to develop into the player he's becoming now. Mm -hmm. I love. I don't know where you stand on Dean Wade. I, love him. Wade, in my opinion, is the most misrepresented player maybe in the entire league because 
No offense to anyone out there. People who don't know Ball say he sucks. And people who understand <laughs> basketball appreciate what he brings to the court. Sam Merrill, they turned him, you know, nothing is something. Craig Porter Jr., you know, we'll see what Imani Bates can do when he gets to the NBA level. But mm-hmm. over the last couple of years, like, I think that narrative is starting to change a little bit. I see someone in the comments that Terrence Mann can guard everybody. He's another guy who's uh, at least physically capable of guarding ones and fives. But uh, they, their staff deserves some credit. And, and kudos to those guys for not giving up on Isaac because he clearly could have given up on him. And now you're seeing the the reaping benefits of letting guys develop, giving them a chance, and, and they're playing up to their potential now. So Patience, bro. That's all it is. That's <laughs> all I feel like. I, I preach that all the live long day, but I know as fans, like that's not a strong suit. It's not a big virtue among our fan base, really any, any sports fan base. People hate being patient, especially in regards to people who can probably deemed as developmental prospects. Whether you like it or not, Isaac taken at fifth overall, he came in as a developmental prospect. I yeah. mean, it, it, for a rebuilding Cavs team that obviously needed perimeter defense beside Colin Sexton and Darius Garland, he was the... He, I don't know if there was really an obvious selection in that draft. The 2020 draft was just such a crapshoot. But to so your wonky. point, yeah, yeah. To your to your point, like the, from a developmental aspect over these past couple of seasons, whether it be undrafted talents like Craig Porter Jr., Dean Wade, Lamar Stevens, even throw him in there. Yeah, he gave some, great, some, great call. Yeah. Some, some some good contributions over the years. Um, they have been able to kind of shift the narrative here, and I hope they continue that trend. Uh, I don't know where you stand with guys like Isaiah Mobley. Uh, and and Pete Nance, but I hope they continue that trend with some of these two-way guys down here. Amani, um, you already mentioned him, but I do feel like that narrative is shifting, and I think that's really, really important, especially for a team with title aspirations that's going to need to get creative uh, in in terms of contracts and and being able to put guys out there that are not on max salaries. So I feel like every single championship contender has has players like that that they have they've homegrown. And they haven't necessarily uh, outsourced and tried to acquire via trade and why not? Because you have those yeah. out there, but Cleveland's doing a better job of doing it over the uh, past couple of seasons. And one other one other layer to that is with the new you know tax aprons. And when the Cavs do pay Mobley, I'm telling you, it's going to happen. They're going to have to make some difficult decisions on the depth the depth pieces they have and the ability to pay you know quality proven depth pieces. And that's where mm-hmm. the development of G League guys, whether it's a Mobley and Nance. Uh, a Sharif Cooper from the G League, Imani Bates, those kind of guys are going to be so crucial in putting together a championship roster because the luxury tax is no joke, guys. And when no, you hit that second, not. and with the new, you know, first apron and second apron, and uh, Kobe Altman's told, he's told Jason this before Jason's reported it. I know Chris Feeder's reported it. They don't want to pay the luxury tax before it's time to pay Mobley. And that Mobley extension is going to put them in the luxury tax. There's no way around it. And super quick, explainer if you guys know the luxury tax i'll just you could spend one dollar on a player but it costs nine dollars to the league is essentially the value and then you can't do certain things with there's a hard cap and no buyout guys so a whole whole plethora of issues you run into money wise if you're in the luxury tax and if the Cavs, when they put evan mobley on that extension they're going to be in the threshold so they're gonna have to fill out the roster with cpjs and and sam merrill smaller contracts and finding them through the g league developing them in your system, giving them ready to kind of contribute on the NBA level from day one when they make that jump from the G League to the NBA level, not just for Cleveland, but for all these teams in the luxury tax, is going to be more and more crucial now with the cap restrictions based on how much you can and can't spend. So uh, the Cavs are at the right point 
kind of changing the the narrative on what they can and can't do from a developmental standpoint. I mean, yeah, I mean, I feel like all the people hate this, right? Um, going that route and saving your second round picks when you have limited assets and people want it to really throw a lot of those away uh, to the wind for players like Royce O'Neal, who immediately had a monster game today. You you watch him do yeah. that and you're like, well, damn, did the, did the Cavs make the right call? And I still feel like it is. Uh, but it just makes me feel better about saving those picks because they are becoming more and more valuable, uh, assuming that the scouting department and this front office is able to continue to pull rabbits out of the proverbial hat in terms of some of these guys they've been able to get. And uh, we haven't even seen all of them, right? Uh, Luke Travers, uh, another guy who we really, I'm really hoping to see eventually in this Cavs, uh, in this Cavs lineup down the line. But yeah, it just speaks to the level of development they have. Um, one player specifically that I've really kind of wanted to to hear your thoughts on, just because we haven't really had an in-depth discussion about this before, Mikey, is Karis LeVert. Um, he's been slumping as of late, but tonight mm-hmm. he really, really was crucial in tonight's victory. 18 points, 12 boards, 8 assists, and a, an efficient 6 of 10 from the field. Um, when, you, when you view Karis LeVert in, in a vacuum, what are your thoughts? He brings something to the Cavs that they can't replicate with anyone else outside of their starting five. His playmaking, his ability to get into the paint, his creativity off the bounce. Like, I love George. I love Dean. Like, but that's just not what those guys do. Sam Merrill doesn't do that. Good Karras is awesome. Bad Karras is horrendous. And you don't <laughs> know what you're going to get until you put him out there. And I, I think you need him in the playoffs because of his ability to make something out of nothing. And I don't know how much you've talked about this, Mac, but regular season basketball and playoff basketball, two different games. Like oh, it, it really is two completely separate things. So in the playoffs, I think he's a, a mandatory. I will hear no negotiation. I think what he brings to the court, unless he starts over seven. You need shot whatever. creation. He can yeah. do that. In the regular season, if he comes out and misses his first two shots, I'm fine with letting Sam Merrill get the rest of his minutes that night. Like, I, I have enough faith in Karras as a veteran that he's going to understand his minutes may be on a yo-yo down the stretch just based off JB needing to see what he has in some of these other guys on the wing. So I'm not worried about his mentals getting all thrown off, his confidence getting shook. But I don't think there's any player on the Cavs or maybe in the league. It, no, that's not true. Jordan Poole does it more. But, like... <laughs> The highs are awesome and the lows just infuriate. It just absolutely infuriate me. Like they make you want to punch your TV. Like yeah. when, you, when you're watching doing some of the yeah. shit that he does out there when he's going through some of this. Uh, oh, I love this Tom K down here. Karis Lavariance. Yes. yes. One game, 40 yeah. decks. Tom, you got that. You hit the nail and if, on the uh, on the head. Man. I was at the game they played the Clippers uh before the break, and Karis came down and he hit a step back three. And I'm with my boy Justin. Mm-hmm. who likes basketball but isn't like a basketball fan he, he likes the atmosphere he, he knows the players but like he doesn't know anyone on the clippers he just and he's like karis gonna shoot the next time he gets it guaranteed i'm like what makes you say that he's like i've been doing enough games this year trust me karis comes down step back three not a single pass complete brick looks at jb goes my bad my bad <laughs> just justin goes he's gonna shoot again next time guarantee donovan brings it down kicks it to the corner quick three bricks it jb pulls him he goes back in a second later. It's just like he's the ultimate confident street guy. And if it's good, it's great. And when it's not, it's not. But 
in the regular season, if someone wants to tell me Sam Merrill should get those minutes or, or Dean Wade or George or let's, let's let's mix and match the rotation, we don't need Karras in the regular season, I'm not going to fight it. But come playoff time, I do think Karras is a staple. Whether JB goes with a 7-8, I doubt he goes 9, but even a 9-man rotation in the playoffs, like Karras has to be one of those guys in the rotation. One of the names you just brought up, very interesting conversation surrounding him, and that is Sam Merrill. Sharp shooting guy, kind of took the league by storm for a minute there, was one of the top shooters in the league, and now seemingly can't crack the rotation uh, for more than maybe 10 minutes a game. How do you find Merrill more minutes, or is there a way to even do that? So, Sam Merrill's exa- – so, I played D3 basketball, Mac. I don't know if I mm-hmm. – Sam Merrill's everything I wish I was as a basketball player. Like <laughs> I was, I was the Walmart dollar store D three version of Sam Merrill, but not as good. And like just shooting threes as a relatively unathletic white guy in in the league is it's really what my dream was. So I am as biased as it gets with Sam Merrill. I just want that on the table for everyone to know. At least, thank you for clearing the air. Yeah, whatever like, I, you're listen, about I, to say next, at least we no, can I, listen, that I, Yeah, I think Sam like. I don't know how he doesn't get more minutes, but I also understand JB's unwillingness to kind of budge on what he believes in. JB likes old school basketball. He likes size and he likes physicality. And I don't think Sam Merrill's a terrible defender by any means, but it's kind of like Darius. He's, he is what he is. He is what he is. He's not horrendous. He's kind of usually in the right spot at least, but teams are going to hunt him if he's on the court. If he's making shots if he starts the game two for two, three for three, like the Cavs offense looks as good as it does with any five players on the court when Sam Merrill is in that five-man rotation because of the space and the gravitational pull he has when he's standing in the corners. When he's not making shots, he still has the gravitational pull, but he doesn't offer a whole lot else in terms of playmaking and off-ball creation and defense. So like, I get why JB doesn't want to kind of loosen the leash on him. But I also think, I think he needs more minutes to make shots, if that makes sense. It's kind of a give and take. Like he has to get in the rhythm of the game to be able to shoot at the level we know he's capable of shooting at. And it's really hard to come off the bench, ice cold, play two minutes, find your legs, you miss a shot, you know you're coming out. I don't know what the answer is, Mac, but I think in the regular season, you have nothing to lose by playing him at least 15 minutes a game right now. Like you could find a few minutes here and there why, what's the point of putting you know 34 minutes on Donovan's legs each night in the regular season? We know even the playoffs. Same thing with Darius. And I know those guys are coming back, so it's not perfect right now. But I want to see Sam Merrill play more. And I also understand that he probably will not be in the playoff rotation come April. And that's going to piss a lot of people off. Mikey, that is exactly where I am with Merrill right now. It's like, okay, he's somewhat limited by his size, right? It, we know he can shoot. Right. We know that that is his biggest asset. He's a movement shooter and he's one of the best in the league when he's on. Uh, But finding minutes for him on a team that one is already kind of at a disadvantage in the backcourt. When you're talking about two smallish back, uh, two smallish guards in Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. And then you look at the power, the small forward situation in Max Struess is kind of undersized himself. And you're like, so is the curl. Yeah, and, and Okoro, um, Merrill, uh, you know, Struess, all these guys are not real, like, traditional size small forwards when you think about these six, 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 seven guys out there, especially in today's league. But just viewing it through that lens has kind of helped me cope 
I guess that's probably the best word. Yeah. Uh, with him not playing as many minutes as he had at one point in the season. Um, and, and it makes sense, right? We all knew that once Darius and Evan came back to uh came back to the lineup, that somebody was going to either be the odd man out or he was going to lose minutes. And that unfortunately has been uh Maryland Dean Wade to a degree on some nights. Um, and so it, it sucks because there's numerous guys on this roster who probably deserve run. And if they played for another team, they probably would get that run. But it just goes to show how deep this current roster is. And it's really down to JB to figure this out. But as far as what he's doing right now, I can't necessarily disagree with the Merrill minutes. The, the one situation where I'm like, well, if this guy is playing like complete shit, maybe you you do kind of pull some of his minutes. It's Niang, right? Yeah. George Niang. Just had him on the pod. Awesome uh awesome George, my dude. guy by the way one of the like i've known george for a while now mm-hmm. one of the best dudes you will ever meet he gave right. me one of the most authentic interviews and he honestly he made me a fan uh you know once he did come on to the show i definitely uh felt the the authentic nature of some of the uh the, the line of questioning but i say all that to say like if his minutes are not great you know you can pull him in favor of wade for Merrill, what yeah. do you do? Do you, do yeah. you take some Struce minutes? I, I don't know. It's I don't know. It, there's no right answer, and and that's why you know the next what 20, 26 games left. Yeah, next mm-hmm. twenty six games. I I kind of want to see JB just just try shit. Like 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 honestly, you have you know at this point the two seeds extremely important in my opinion. I don't know how you feel on uh, it the is for matchup the two seed as opposed to the three four. Like they're making the playoffs, but uh, I. I'm kind of up for JB to a certain extent. Like, you know, I'm not trying to throw out a Tristan Thompson, Damian James, Damian Jones lineup with, you know, Craig Porter Jr. And like, I'm not trying to get that crazy, Uh but like, I would love to see him kind of mix and match some of these, these rotational guys with in the context of the core four, just to see who fits best. And if you can survive a stretch where maybe, maybe Merrill is the guy one day, maybe, maybe steps in in a playoff game or in a, not a playoff game, excuse me, in a, in a game in the next two weeks and develops. Uh, let me go back to say something real quick. Remember when Merrill played Orlando, had the six threes before the all-star break? Yeah, yeah. They ran a little pick and roll between Merrill and Donovan Mitchell. Like four times, Orlando had no freaking clue what to do. It, it put him in the tour. I, I did a little tweet breakdown of it. I'll, I'll find it and maybe repost it tonight. Orlando was in absolute chaos. They were in hell trying to figure out how to stop it. So Merrill being on the court, there's like some wrinkles to the Cavs offense that he alone brings that no one else, no one else can do. No one else can do. And like I, I don't think they've utilized a Mitchell Struess pick and roll. Like, can you think of a time where they had uh Struess as a screener and uh, maybe once or twice, but I, I can't think of a specific time. No, not a lot of possessions come to mind when that's the case. Yeah. I, I we see so many. Uh, so many pick and roll actions and sets with Struce and Mobley or Which Allen. What's awesome tonight, by the way, like yeah, that's, yeah. that was kind of the catalyst. So I do think Merrill has a role, but as a shooter, like it's so hard to kind of get into the rhythm when you're playing two, three minute spurts. And I just don't know how JB gives him longer stretches of time without sacrificing minutes for one of the legitimate guys that has to play. Like I'm not sacrificing Darius Garland's minutes in his return to what we hope will be, you know, his all-star form in order to get Sam Merrill's legs under him. You know what I'm saying? I, I, yeah, yeah, your yeah. Point, I just, I just don't know where you're pulling minutes from unless it's Levert. And and that's why I think Levert is the yo-yo guy for the next 20 something games. 
it may if it's not him, who? And, and that's kind of where I'm at with that. Like JB's got a hell of a task at hand figuring out who can play, who can't play, and who's going to be in that eight nine man repl- playoff rotation. And there's 12 guys because I think Craig Porter Jr. can play. I think Tristan Thompson's going to play in the playoffs. I mean, for, yeah, especially if you see the Knicks, there is no way that Tristan Thompson is. He has not to play. Playing. He ha- yeah. he has to play. It's, it's a non-negotiable. It, it, it's just it just goes to show the level of depth that this team has. I know you just yeah. brought up a name that I was going to touch on this before we headed out of here, but Craig Porter Jr. You know, just he, he just got converted. Mm-hmm. Um, very very happy for him. Hopefully, I can land him on the show sometime soon. But um. He's not seeing the court either. <laughs> it just, yeah. it, it's one of those things. So I've seen people clamor for him throughout the season. I have been of that bunch uh, in a ton of these games where I'm just like, okay, you know, uh, Donovan, Darius, one of them has missed a game and the Cavs could use another, uh, another creator out there. And Craig has just not been given a run for whatever reason. Um, do you feel like JB should try to get Craig involved a little bit, a little bit more down the stretch or you just kind of think it is what it is. He'll just have to buy this time and wait. Yeah, I, I think at this point it is what it is because I, I can't see any scenario where he's in a playoff rotation right now. So it's refs, but I think honestly, just for his own personal development, he's mm-hmm. getting 30 minutes a game with the charge or yeah. 30 seconds every other game with the Cavs. It's just better for him to be down in the G League right now. And that's not a knock on Craig. He could play at the NBA level. But if Sam Merrill's not getting minutes, who the hell are you taking out now to get Craig Porter Jr. In? <laughs> and he, you know, Part of proving you could play in the league is you get an opportunity, and sometimes it's only one opportunity. You have to make the most of it. And when Darius got hurt earlier, like it was Craig Porter Jr. who stepped up and filled those shoes admirably. Mm -hmm. And now that Darius is back, unless you want to tell me that you would rather play Craig Porter over Darius, which I'm just not going to have that conversation with you, like unless that unless that's how you feel, where 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 the minutes coming from? How's he going to play? And he can't shoot yet. That's still a knock on him. Yeah, yeah. And you, you can't be a six foot guard and can't shoot in the playoffs. I'm so like it just it, it, unless you're Rajon Rondo level passer defender, which Craig Porter Jr. hopefully can be one day. He's not there yet. And hell, that was a different era of basketball even five years ago. You know, like the NBA's changed so much that I don't even know if that's still sustainable. But he could play, man. He's a hell of a. Hell of a guy to have on your bench and a great rotational depth piece during the regular season. But at this point, I think I'd rather have him just get those full-time game refs with the charge, mm-hmm. fully develop into whatever kind of player he's going to end up being in the NBA. And maybe he is your backup point guard next year. But this season, that is Donovan's job. And we got 25 games left, 26 games left. I, what's the What's the point of weaving him in now? I, I just don't see it. Yeah, that's fair. And see, I have struggled with this throughout the the duration of this season. I don't see it changing. Obviously, there will be. Sorry, sorry, Safety with Amani Bates, by the way. Like I was just getting uh, ready to bring up. Yep, Amani can sit on the Cavs bench and play twenty seconds every third night, or he can score thirty points in the G League every night. You tell me what's better for his long term development. Absolutely, minutes with the charge. We've seen him light up. Uh, light up the G League this season, but there are clearly still areas of his game that yeah. need further tinkering and development. And he is in a perfect location down there with Mike Garrity and company to do that. And I feel like you have seen him grow a little bit, but it does not really do him any, uh, it, it does him a disservice to have him play like maybe five minutes at the end of a blowout. As much as I would love to see him play, and I think there will be occasions when there is a blowout or two where you can work him in towards the end of a game, they'll probably do that towards the latter half of the season. 
in the last couple of games like they did last year once they have seeding determined, assuming things don't go down to the wire, which they very well may. I mean, I hope not. I hope they're able to, to, to lock shit up, but I just don't know because the East is so tight right now. And so I, I get why people want Bates up here. I get why they want Craig Porter Jr. to play. I get why Sam Merrill should play more, but it's really tough. And I just, I still continue to urge fans just to be patient in regards to this whole process because these teams, I mean, look at the Denver Nuggets. They develop players. It, it, it took a long time for their championship aspirations to truly play out. They sat there and they developed guys. They made timely acquisitions. And maybe this could be the route that Cleveland goes. And having guys like that sitting in your farm system, for better or worse, developing, it's the best course of action for them. And uh, I, I truly hope people can just remain patient in that regard. Uh, I lied. I do have one more that I want to ask you about yeah. tonight, man. Jared Allen. This mm-hmm. was seen as somewhat of a, a redemption season for him, right? After that playoff series, just absolute collapse uh, against Mitchell Robinson and company. Um, and I think Mitchell's coming back soon. Yeah, I think he's two weeks away now. He'll, yeah. he'll be back for the playoffs. So if it's mm-hmm. another Knicks-Cavs rematch, we will see how he uh, he responds. But Mitchell Robinson, barring a new injury, will be back for that series. Yeah, uh, and moreover... He is he's been phenomenal this season for most uh, for, for the most part. There have been stretches where you're like, man, he probably should be a little bit more aggressive out there, take advantage of some of these matchups. That Philly game the other night, uh, that was that was one of them. But uh for better or worse, he's been phenomenal this year. He got snubbed from the all-star game. I just I I truly feel like he should have made it, but it, this is a very deep league. I, there, there is a question in here though. The question is, do you feel like from what you have seen? From this current new look roster, do you do you feel any differently than you once did about his long term standing with the franchise? Um, no, because I think he does all the little things so well that help a team win, and maybe most impressive. That's that's cliche. What what makes Allen so ver- uh, valuable is he doesn't need the ball ever. He never asks for the ball. He gets it because he sets great screens, rolls. And it feels like anytime he misses in the paint, Mac, I don't know if you feel the same way. I'm like, did he just miss that? Like, he, it, it feels like he shoots 96% on <laughs> shots that he should take. And he has weird floaters. He hit a couple of jump shots uh, right for the break, too, that I was like, damn, like, he's adding to the bag in ways I didn't even expect. But what he brings, and he still has to prove it in the playoffs. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, if you have hesitations on him because of what happened in the postseason last year, I, I'm not going to hold it against you. I honestly have. Slight hesitation. I'm not super worried. I think that whole series was just such a cat, uh, catastrophe for the team that I don't pin it all on Allen for saying the lights were too bright. I, the lights were too bright for everyone out there, essentially. So um, I have slight hesitation, but my bigger picture fear is just two non-shooting bigs and is that sustainable to win multiple rounds in the playoffs against good teams. But I think at the end of the day, Allen and Mobley are your third and fourth or your second and third in some order, Mitchell's your best player. However you want to rank Darius, Evan, Jared mm-hmm. next. Uh, I think you make the case that Allen's second this year, but you can't take him off the court because he's been that good. Like all-star or not, he's playing at an all-star level, whether they want to put Scotty Barnes, and I agree with you. I didn't think he was snubbed from the initial team. I, I had an issue with Scotty Barnes getting over him the into the all-star game as yeah. injury replacement, but he's been that good this season that there's no way – you can tell me the Cavs are at their best without him being part of that five. Offensively, 
defensively and from an intangible standpoint. He brings everything to the table you could hope for from a center, everything to the table you could hope for from a teammate. And frankly, the pick-and-roll chemistry he's developed with Donovan Mitchell is, in my opinion, their best offensive weapon. That is the the number one. The Cavs need a bucket. What am mm-hmm. I calling? Some sort of Mitchell, Allen, high pick-and-roll. And, roll. and uh, good luck trying to stop it with two shooters in the corner. So my, 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 my bigger, my bigger issue is it's not an Allen question. It's not a Mobley question. It's a can Allen and Mobley without a full-time consistent three between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Is that sustainable to win multiple playoff rounds? We'll find out this year, but I don't have any questions individually about Jared Allen or Evan Mobley in that sense. They're both phenomenal in their own right. They're different players, but they're both really freaking good. I think that's a completely fair answer. I do think the addition of Max Struess has definitely opened up the floor a little bit more for everybody, but still you can clearly tell that there are definitely sequences where you want one of those guys to be able to space the floor. And I think that's why we've seen JB stagger them like he had, like he has the last couple of seasons. Right. But mm-hmm. with Dean Wade playing as well as he has with Struess being out there with Niang being on board. Now you have the flexibility to go out there and stagger the lineups while still having your closing lineup of the starting five. Right. Uh, with Isco Coro or Karis LeVert, whatever, who, or Struess, whoever you're choosing out there. I, I, I also I wouldn't know. hate Dean Wade, by the way. I, I, I think it's a core right now, but if uh-huh. Wade's making a couple of shots, what he does defensively, I, I don't mind Wade being that fifth guy either. No, it, he's, it, he's it's a good, it's a good problem to have. Like it, it, JB's in a good spot here, um, but any of those guys, it's an upgrade over Danny Green last year. We'll just put it that. Bro, way. it's a far cry from last year. I mean, <laughs> Isaac was coming off an of injury. People just said they forgot that shit. They forgot that he entered the playoffs uh, coming yeah. off an of injury. Dean wasn't himself, obviously. He been terrible, unfortunately. Yeah, you, you had the corpse of Danny Green out there. Uh, you know, people were expecting Lamar Stevens to, to 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 provide great minutes, and we just know how that went. And and Jetty is inconsistent as his tenure was in Cleveland. No, no, no disrespect to Jetty, but uh, that's, that's what Cleveland was working with last year. It's completely different this year. You have the roster flexibility to put out any, any five man unit out there with consistent spacing. Yeah. Um, And, and it's just, it's changed lives (laughs) out there. And I'm sure it's less of a headache for everybody, especially, especially Donovan knowing that he, that he has floor spacing around there and Darius, those drivers really. Um, that said, man, I know we didn't talk too much about tonight's game, but I, I really wanted to pick your brain on some of these things. So I do appreciate you for coming on. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime, man. And frankly, there wasn't a whole lot to talk about from tonight's game. A win's a win, but you know, the Cavs have bigger aspirations than beating Washington on a Sunday night, 6 p.m. tip, which I actually really like the 6 p.m. tips. I don't know how you feel, but oh, I, I'm actually all better. for these 6 p.m. tips. If they wanted to make these standard across the league, uh, you're not going to hear a single complaint from me. So. I wouldn't complain about that at all. I mean, I love the start time. It, it just makes things run a lot more smoother. You're not going out there. I'm not having post-game pods super late. I mean, I love it. So nothing nothing bad about it. Not too much to discuss tonight. Glad Cavs were able to walk away with the victory because if they didn't, all hell would have broken it loose on bad. social media. <laughs> it <laughs> would have been ugly. Tensions would have been high in the city. Let's just put it that way. Um that said, as I always tell you guys, if you like to reach out to me, you know how you can. It's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you like to be added to the It's Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot of the review to itscavalier53 at gmail.com. 
Mikey, I cannot tell you how many times in the past I have messed that up. <laughs> I say that constantly and I used to fuck it up all the time. Uh, but I, I truly do appreciate you for coming on. Anytime, man. If you need sure. me to come again, let me know and I'll uh, be happy to hop back on. For sure. Go Caps. <laughs>